Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and we answer. Kristen Williams, fearless co-pilot here, and I are going to answer your questions today. Hey, Kristen. I always look forward to seeing what you're going to say each time. <laughs> My intro. I know. I try and be I try and be a little different. It's the best. How to introduce the magical Kristen Williams. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. So we just did a postural IG live, which is on my Instagram, Laura.hyman for anybody. Uh, it was an hour discussing posture and our passion for it. And I have some leftover questions, so I thought we would answer them here. Sounds good. So this is from Donna Bear. Can posture make you have a hump at the top of your spine? And if you correct your posture and have a hump, will it fix itself? Well, I was just going to say that's called a dowager's hump. And yes, I do think it is strongly related to posture. And can you get rid of it? That, I think, depends upon whether there's been that kind of fatty overlay that, that can be acquired. The body's pretty amazing, though. And, and, and what, what, what have you seen with those? Well, I've seen two things. And I'm going to address two different humps. One is the downwagers, which is in the thoracic spine. And that can improve really depending on age and what other structural changes have occurred. Because often, if that's an age-related thing, um, there is possibly some arthritis in that area, or not arthritis, osteoporosis with that area. There's a weakening in the area overall. And what our body, the, our body's so brilliant, when there's a weakening or there's stress, which might create a weakening, it signals different stem cells to produce material to come in and give it support. And so that material is in the form of collagen. Um, it can have that fatty overlay like you're talking about. So it kind of depends on what the age is and you know how long it's been there. It certainly can be reduced. I have seen that. I have seen a really um, not so great, more recent development where I think it's related to the text neck, where it's above the thoracic spine at the base of the cervical spine where people are getting a little hump. And I have not seen that before. I mean, people have been living in forward heads for a long time, but it's at a, it's the forward head and the it's the real protrusion forward and the lifting of the chin that has created uh, that imbalance there. So as we mentioned on our IG Live, very, very restricted tissues right under the skull. And then there's this little hump that is developing. I've seen this in young people, like teens and 20s, usually in their 20s by that point. And the posture should help with that. It's posture, some soft tissue work to help kind of almost break down that excessive material building. It's almost like a scar. You know, a scar tissue is collagen coming in and, and laying down the cross-links in a different form to create a thicker, more stable closure. And so just like you can mobilize scar tissue, uh, you can mobilize this as well. It's, it's not quite fibrotic yet. I think it gets more that fibrotic, denser tissue 
if you've had it for years. And that I think, I never say never, but that's harder to have go away. But if it's a newer development, catch it now, start to work on your posture and and see if it it helps. Well, and I think, Laura, to your point of seeing that second hump in younger people, I think the difference with text neck as compared to our traditional computer neck is a lot of the young people are looking down more often. So that different, it's, it, it creates a bigger lever arm and further up, you know, where, so that's why I think we're seeing it above like the traditional dowager or even upper back. We're seeing it more in the neck because of, yes, people who are looking forward with the jut, but then also the younger population, they're all looking down, which is even more weight hanging off the base of the cervical spine there and that's just holding on for dear life, the weight of the head because of the different angle of the eye even, I think that would probably play a role as well. Yeah, it's crazy. I had never seen that before and it's not something I want to see. So get your look, get your, like I, like I was talking to Jonah and, and I said, oh, you're pretty good about not looking down at your phone. He goes, yeah, yeah, just bring it up. Even with my eyes, I sit back and I said, okay, that's smart. I don't think that necessarily came from me. <laughs> I think he just figured it out. So bring your screen, whether it's your computer screen or your phone screen level with your eyes. We're not going to do it all the time. That that would be, you know, even as knowledgeable as we are, we, we look down. That That's going to happen. But it's that constant looking down that is overloading um, that region. And so just like, if a house had a strain on it, you come in with mortar and bricks and you put more things in there to help it. And that's essentially what's happening. The mortar is being coming in in the form of connected tissue and creating that hump. So it's a great question and try and work on it if that's the area. All right, the next question is, and I cut off her name, unfortunately. I know modalities like yoga and massage can help with posture. My question is a two-part. If yoga is used to move the spine in ways to improve posture, doesn't it also work with the muscles to improve one's posture in a muscular sense? And does movement in a yoga practice help to train the nervous system to bring our bodies into a proper posture? Depends the type of yoga you're practicing. <laughs> yeah, and We're it's not, be, yeah, it's not just yoga. Yeah. It's um, yeah. it's the functional movement. You know, functional movement, I think, is what which is what we add to our yoga more so than the movement of traditional yoga through the vinyasas is not very functional. So I feel like what we're adding to it with the functional movement patterns is more what is training the muscles to work better together for posture. Because a lot of traditional yoga, well, I mean, you know, mountain pose, the best pose ever when you think about it. You know, it's just that it's perfect quote unquote posture. You know, it's retraining that. And we really want to maintain Tadasana throughout our practice Traditional yoga doesn't do that as much, but I do think we've put that in to the lit program where we're maintaining that better posture and then layering it with functional movement, which is even more applicable to life. Yes. And in terms of the spine, there, there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions about the importance of moving the spine. Of course, it's important to move it, but it's also the quality of how you move it. So we have these different segments of the spine 
different curvatures. And we want when we're moving, whether we're you know flexing the spine, side bending it, extending it, we want it to be in a very balanced way. So where, where posture really matters in that sense is how you inhabit your posture a majority of the time is what your brain recognizes. And there can be some imbalances. So if I, if for instance, you had really rounded upper back or excessive arching in the low back, that's going to be your go-to movement because it's already set. So say you're going to go into some kind of back bend, quote unquote, a lot of people who have that ex, you know, the excessive arch in their spine in the low back, they'll move from there even more instead of balancing that extension upward into the thoracic spine, into keeping the hips extended. And so it's really about moving the spine in a balanced way. And that's where learning how to hold it, learning how to stabilize the spine through core stability, then gives you a better you know, setup for being able to mobilize it because to me, moving the spine, unless you're doing cat cow, and even then, I have I have some tension, good quote unquote, in my core. I don't think I'm ever moving the spine without some sense of support, because and that's where a lot of yoga is just like you're kind of flinging your back around, arch round, arch round, versus controlling the movement by going. Oh, imagine going inward around the axis of the spine and trying to create the movement from that outward. And that is more challenging, especially if you are limited in any way. And bringing that back to the training of the nervous system, that's how you retrain the nervous system. Is you connect the brain, like it sounds so hokey, but I, I was working with somebody yesterday and I, I say this a lot, as you do. I say, before you move that leg, she was going to move in hip extension. I said, think about left glute fire, left glute fire. That sounds like, why would you think? Because you're connecting the thought is in the brain, in the cortex. It helps connect to the activity, to the activation. So similarly, when you're moving, you are retraining, like you mentioned, you're retraining the nervous system, but you're retraining it with intention. So I'm not going to say every yoga practice does that by any means. You might feel good afterwards, sure, because moving feels good, but you might not be retraining it or recalibrating it or improving the connection to it and its vitality. The second part of it, I've heard that massage can also help improve posture through manipulation of the muscle tissue. I've heard it's especially helpful for people who have rounded shoulders. Is this true? I don't think it it, it can be used in isolation. I think massage is a great adjunct. I think soft tissue work is a great adjunct. But in and of itself, no, you're going to go right back into that posturing. Same thing like we talked about on the IG Live with spinal manipulation. If you don't rewire the brain map of opening up the shoulders into a more neutral scapula, neutral humeral head, getting that into your brain, you're going to go right back into those old patterns, which is going to be into that shortened pectoral position, usually nine times out of 10, uh, and it'll come back. So again, massage is a tool in our toolbox. I do it all the time. I believe in it. I believe in soft tissue work, but in isolation, it is temporary. It will not stand on its own two legs. I totally agree. I love soft tissue. I've been trained in it. I know it not only feels good, 
that yes, it can, um, what I usually, like Kristen said, I use it as an adjunct. So if somebody is coming in and they're super rigid and I see that it's not just from the brain, it's like literally the soft tissue has gotten like a rigidity to it. Soft tissue uh, manipulation or immobilization is wonderful. It's just creating a little bit more, you know, adaptability, pliability in that area so that then you can then apply it to your movement to just do it. And I know people, lots of people go and get a massage and they're not, it's not like they're moving afterwards. That's fine. I think that's really nice for the nervous system. I think it just feels good because we, I mean, we, we let most, most people like touch or, or need touch. It's a very, um, it can be very healing, but in and of itself, it's not going to change your posture. And okay. Jaja Yoga asked, um, she asked something about like, she's studying acupuncture. So she has both worlds, you know, like Eastern, Western. Sometimes she says, I get so discouraged with the more, you know, modern or med- uh, Western medicine. For example, in one of my books, it's, it is said, osteoporosis is responsible for the increase of the dorsal kyphosis. Is, isn't posture the root cause? Well, this kind of, Piggybacks to our first question when somebody was talking about a hump. I think it's both. I think posture in itself can absolutely create a hump, but it can be worsened by osteoporosis because you've got the weakening of the bones and now you don't even have this these structural integrity to realign. So I do think it's both. I think osteoporosis makes it worse. But that's why if you can catch dorsal kyphosis or that rounding of the upper back sooner and work on that, even if you were to acquire osteoporosis, I've seen people with osteoporosis who don't have that hump. So it's not a direct correlation. It's just that it can worsen it. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And you just think about you know osteoporosis, weakening of bony matrix, getting that more proper postural alignment is is going to really stack the spine better and and provide better weight bearing component through the spine versus weight bearing through other areas of the body, which is going to you know I think help people not get osteoporosis. I'm, there's a I'm sure there's a genetic component to osteoporosis as well. We see it in different types of cultures. Women are more prone, you know. So there's there are those components that we can't change, but having a properly stacked spine first is going to weight bear through those joints and maintain better bony matrix. Because our body, our bones are always remodeling and they remodel in response to stress, which is why people with osteoporosis, we say weight bearing, weight bearing, walking, yoga, you know, things like that are weight bearing and posture retraining to help them is to better weight bear through the spine. So you are rebuilding. Um, and then at some point in time, you might be to where you're trying to take pressure off certain areas because it's it's too far gone. But I agree with you 1,000%, Laura. They they are they definitely affect one another. But chicken of the egg is a big question there because there are so many factors. Yeah. And I would just add to what you were saying, weight-bearing on your hands is going to have a direct impact to your upper back and thoracic spine through the scapula connection to it. So if you're weight-bearing through your hands and keeping that spine organized because of your core integration, you are, in effect, adding some good stress. So when we talk about stress, stress is good. 
That's like when you lift weights, that's a form of stress. It's, it's a demand that's placed that your body has to respond to. And it responds to by rebuilding that matrix. If, we, you know, at, I think it's like 35, especially women do it at a higher weight, we're losing um, bone density. So we just have to kind of constantly be regenerating it on our own. And, we have, and that's really by, by being active, keeping good posture, and, and then putting these stresses on there like weight-bearing on the hands. We do so much of that in lit, quadruped, plank, for all, et cetera, forearm, dolphin, all that. All that's really good. And then the second question is, we, we talked a little bit about this on our IG Live, it's how to manage so many informations that don't resonate. And I think what she's talking about is, you know, whether it's Eastern, Western medicine, whether it's two physical therapists, a physical therapist who's more experienced, older versus one who's younger, a person who is not a physical therapist, uh, but maybe studies the research and is making all kinds of claims simply based on research. It's all out there. And that is, you know, information is great and variety of information is good. However, always consider the source, you know, really. And, and, and then some of it just absorb for yourself and say, does this resonate with me? If I, for instance, you know, we have, we teach so much about posture and postural awareness and good mechanics. And we'll have some people who go on Instagram and they see somebody doing something crazy where they're putting a lot of pressure, you know, doing some kind of knee squat or, and they're like, this person says this is good because it's taking it to end range and it's building strength there. What do you think? And I said, well, some of it is I want to say, well, what do you think? Like we've taught you, but you need to also think for yourself. Does that make sense? Like, do we really need to strengthen the in-range of motion at putting that joint in a in, in a compromised position, quite frankly, with this idea that that's a good idea to strengthen it in case we ever go in that range? And the answer would be no. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of information and that's good, but I would always look at it through the uh, discerning lens. So some things that I look at is, yeah, what is this person's background? That's huge to me. You don't have to be a physical therapist or a movement specialist per se, but if you're not that and you're making claims that really don't make sense, I'm not going to really pay attention to you. And then if you also don't have good form yourself, I'm definitely not going to pay attention to you. So I'd say, look at the whole picture. Look at, you know, what is their training? What is their knowledge base? And are they able to, and, and that doesn't mean they can do, you know, crazy stuff, or really hard stuff, but even in like a quadruped or in standing posture, what do they look like? Are they inhabiting the idea um, that's of I think a well-trained person would have? Do you have anything to add on to that? Not so much. I agree with you. You have to, because I mean, every time I do a lit review, I feel like I'm I'm going through the weeds of looking to see, you know, how big is the study, who did the study, and every situation is individual. So there are a lot of things that I will do in physical therapy for a specific purpose that's not going to translate onto my mat or isn't going to translate into my life and isn't something that I want someone to do for life. Uh, But it might be something that's needed in the moment. You know, some sort of joint mobilization or I'll just stop at that, where it's there's a purpose. So people will look and be like, well, why are they doing that? And you know, that's not like we do it in lit. For example, a low lunge. You know, in lit, we teach the more than 90-90 because that's what most 
people can do well. There are people who need to stretch their iliacus or, you know, their rectus femoris, and they need to shift forward in order to get that hip extension component. And, and I know that based on my evaluation. And so I'm applying things for a purpose. And we, we, so you're going to see that out on in Instagram too, where people look at what their purpose is. You know, what, you know, why are they putting it out there? Is there a ulterior motive? You know, are they trying to sell something? Uh, who do they work for? But, or is it just, well, this is specific to a certain case, which is why we look at case studies, you know, they're individual. So it, it does, it takes just, we try to teach people to be discerning and really filter through the crap that people are putting out there making claims that they shouldn't be. And then learn, I, I do it, I follow a ton of physical therapists. I, ton of, I, I follow people who aren't physical therapists and I learn from them, you know, so be willing to take an open mind to certain things and be like, oh, I could see that would be really good for this person. It might not be good for me, but it'd be good for this person or that person. So that's the other thing I would add to it is individualization. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, getting back to a little bit of what I touched on the IG Live with Fascia, for instance, you know, my physical therapy training, um, my kinesiology teacher really talked about this, but Fascia was not well understood, well researched. It really was thought to be just this kind of, you know, it, it, fascia, like if you've ever had chicken, that white covering of it is is fascia. And that's what they used to do to cadavers. They would just kind of remove it and put it in like a centrifuge and never think, they just thought it was like an encasing. And so the research was very slow and it's still, you know, coming around. They're now just now figuring out, well, actually fascia might even have a contractile property to it, which is really mostly has been limited to muscles. So there can be stuff out there that is newer, uh, but it makes it makes sense if you know enough about the body. So I think, again, if somebody's talking about something and they have a global understanding, then that, that would be a good person to listen to. And I agree with Kristen, a lot of different voices is great, but it's just like in every single profession, uh, it's in the vegan world, there is so much like of a schism. And I don't know if it's the the culture of our world right now that there's this a lot of black and white, this is right, this is wrong. I, I'm not sure what that's about, but I think I would stay away from really polarizing people because there's probably a reason. And and just um, yeah, look at somebody who like and, and feel it in your gut if it resonates. If something is producing fear in you, then that might not be a person you would want to follow if they're like, don't do this, or you must be doing this, or those kind of those kind of extreme ideas. You do just again listen to your gut. I think that's that's the way to go. But I think it's it's not at all just in the yoga world or the physical therapy world or the movement world. It's everywhere. You know, it's in politics. It's it's just so that's where we have to um, kind of look through our own personal lens and see what resonates with us. Well. This was a wonderful discussion all about posture. We could talk about posture for a while, but we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, KB. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. And as always, we're pulling for you. 